And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend, Nate Tyson. How are you doing, buddy? Doing very well. I actually watched a documentary last night. I've seen it before. Second time I watched it. Maybe third. Uh, the Tony Hawk documentary. Until the I haven't seen off. it, but I've heard such good things about it. It's very, very good. Very, very well done. Almost hit me differently now that I'm a dad. First time I watched a post-dadship and dadhood. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I really, it strikes home. Anybody has HBO Max or just Max now, I uh, highly recommend it. It might be on other uh, streaming networks, but highly, highly recommend it. But I'm doing very well. Other than Tony Hawk and, you know, reliving the 80s and 90s, we got Championship Weekend. And I am fired up for Championship Weekend. So excited to be here. I'm pumped. We had two really good games. So much to dig into with those games. Before we do that, though, we're going to talk about the coaching carousel and some of the news that's trickled out over the last couple of days. First things first, though, I wanted to say happy birthday to a listener of ours named Matthew Deck. His brother sent me a message and he said for his 50th birthday, could you say happy birthday to my brother? He loves the show. And as someone who really loves unique birthday gifts and who has done things like this before, Mm-hmm. I sincerely appreciated the initiative. So I want to say happy birthday to Matthew and thank you very much for listening. We sincerely appreciate it. I had a That's moment nice. this week where I was talking to my wife and was looking at some of like the podcast numbers and just saying to her, like, this is crazy. Like, it's just crazy that people listen to the show that we put out and people like the show that we put out. So it is not lost on us. Matthew Mitchell, who sent that along, sincerely, sincerely That's appreciate great. Every single person who not only takes the time to listen, but takes the time to reach out and say stuff like that. So I hope you have a wonderful birthday, which is next week. And thank you very much for listening to the show. Also, thank you for reminding me that I have to get a gift for my dad for his birthday next week. So thank you so much. But honestly, thank you, everyone that listens. A few of you have said something to me in person, which has been every time it happens, makes my day. So appreciate every single person that listens, including my mom. (laughs) <laughs> who listens to almost every show. <laughs> Speaking of that, I asked my wife the other day, we were talking, and I was like, "Have you? do you ever listen to the show? Like, when's the last time you listened to a full episode of the show? She's like, I've never listened to a full episode. She's like, sometimes I'll listen to like the first four minutes while you guys are bantering, and then okay. I immediately turn it off. So even that is more support than I thought that she was giving us. I said, as long as you download it, then, then we're fine. That's as it. long as yeah. you just keep just downloading it, that's that all box. that matters. So thank you that's very much. I really appreciate it. All right. Let's get into the coaching news. A lot of big ones here over the last couple of days. Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers actually yeah. happened. People were connecting to dots the entire cycle. It mm-hmm. seemed like that was their guy from the start. They really felt like they were chasing him hard. Jim Harbaugh is now the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers and of Justin Herbert for this new era of the Chargers that we're going to be walking into. What do you think about this? It, I, it feels like I've been resigned to this fate. I don't know. That, I mean, not in a bad way, but resigned to this for months now. It felt like the stars were aligning where this was probably the place that he would end up. They were driven to get him. Yeah. It's appealing because of Herbert. A lot of things fell into place where this made sense. To me, it felt like it was Harbaugh or or Ben Johnson. 
because I felt like the you know the top offensive candidate or Harbaugh, who's probably the top auxiliary candidate, <laughs> you know, as opposed to an offensive or defensive coordinator, the 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 third option, which is if you, know, you could have Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> Yes. Or Mike Vrabel, because you said he's probably the best, you know, CEO overall yeah. coach. But I want to actually ar- interrogate that a little bit. If you could have either one of those guys, who would you choose? I think Harbaugh. If it's only three years, <laughs> because I just remember the 49ers <laughs> tenure, and it was just by the end, everyone goes, "Yeah, maybe he is suited for college because he only he runs everybody out, like grinds them down over four year span." You know, so maybe the first three years. But I think I think Harbaugh would be my answer, even though I really respect what Vrabel does, even if I do have some issues with other things that he does. I think a lot of people are just tacking this up to a definite positive. Like there's no downside. This is right. This is the best thing they could have done. I I maybe don't know enough about Harbaugh's Michigan tenure to say that. Obviously he did an incredible job, you know, his ability to build a program and to kind of Mm -hmm. resurrect a team and a culture, I think has been proven. He did that in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. He did that with Michigan. I guess I just have some questions. Like you said, the last time we saw him, it was 10 years ago. He was grinding down players and wearing on people then and this is a very different NFL and a very different pool of players and coaches, I think, interact with players differently now than yeah. they did 10 years ago. And I don't know enough about his on-field, the on-field advantages he might give a team, what those Michigan teams looked like. I watched the college football playoff, but not much else. So I guess it just playing devil's advocate, I wonder if there are some downsides to this that maybe people aren't haven't been as quick to explore because it feels like the Chargers needed a big swing and this is a big swing. That and I even say it would continue that thinking that some people are saying he's, you know, the QB guru and QB whisperer type. I don't think Herbert really needs that, but maybe more just a better surroundings around him. But to me that was kind of like when? You know, Andrew Luck is Andrew Luck. I, I, and yeah, and that around Alex Smith, it was cleaned up, like, because I think that was just more the offensive system was cleaned up, which I think is his number one, you know, strength. His, his offenses are going to be very sound, at least schematically. There, it's, it's going to be very powerful. That, that's what he's going to push for. I mean, in the run game and also vertical in the pass game, it's a classic run first, shot play later kind of offense. So I actually think it's going to be great with Herbert. Uh, but I also think, when you see the first coordinators that are rumored with him, it's like Greg Roman as OC. And I'm like, ah, again? So I, I like him maybe as run game coordinator and tight end coach or something like that. That would um, be but- cool. And because I think the Chargers specifically need that. If you look at just the yeah, lack yes. of run game they've had over the last couple of years, trying to build that makes sense. But I want to see a slightly different answer when it comes to building the pass game. That's exactly it. And I'm, and I'm just thinking like this 49ers passing games where it wasn't like this exotic stuff that everyone was copying. It was just kind of jumped on people with a very new version of NFL offense in 2012. It was was more of the run game too. And that, that's, and that's also another thing. The offensive line has some talent, but it also has some holes still. So I actually makes, makes me think that they go offensive line with their first pick, which is a discussion for another, another time. We have plenty of time for the draft, but I think that that pass game makes sense. I think that the run game is going to be what they're going to build around, but then you have older Austin Eckler. You don't have a lot of talent at the running back position. You got to remember when he got to San Francisco, you know, got to think of the pieces that he had already. He just kind of streamlined everything and made it work for his personality. Joe Staley, Mike Ayupati, Anthony Davis. I mean, all those guys were already in place with Frank Gore. Gore is the running back. Yep. Yep. And dropping Colin Kaepernick into that, it it made them a dynamic, devastating rushing team. But again, that's 10 years ago. So I'm curious, as someone who watches more college football Mm -hmm. and study that Michigan team has watched J.J. McCarthy, what are 
the on-field advantages of a Jim Harbaugh-led offense. Because I know Jesse Minter, their defensive coordinator in Michigan, is a bit hot name. Yes, if he goes yes. with Harbaugh, I think that's very exciting. That's a he win. He comes from the same <laughs> yeah. world that Mike McDonald yeah. comes from. Obviously, yeah. McDonald was the defensive coordinator there two years ago. But offensively, what stands out about those Michigan teams that you watched over the last couple of years? Hyper, hyper designed run games. And the college football playoff was the best examples. I thought the Alabama – first quarter and a half run game was some of the best stuff you'll ever see. Just a lot of shifting, a lot of motion. So we got those buzzwords out of the way. We got that. Use of personnel. Okay, we got that out of the way. Okay, there you go. We got hit those checkpoints. But I thought it was – he's always been like this. This is how I was in San Francisco. This is how I was at Stanford. It's a very – I don't want to use the term over-designed, but you know, over-coached. But it's hyper designed where it's like we are shifting this guy to this. So you do this. And it's like a slower kind of what Shanahan does, but slower, more methodical. It's it's in I remember, man. I remember all those arc release quarterback runs. And I mean, they just used to do so much cool stuff back then. So it's going to be fascinating. And I think the other thing to take into account here is the organizational dynamics at play. They don't have a general manager. They have not hired a general manager. So I have to assume that Harbaugh is going to have a lot of power and a lot of autonomy within that organization as he shapes this thing, which now leads me to a question about what does the next six months look like for the Los Angeles Chargers? Because under a different regime, I could have seen them really tearing things down where Mm -hmm. you trade Joey Bosa. You move on from Khalil Mack. You cut one of the receivers. Maybe you restructure Keenan Allen to get that number down. But this is a team that's $40 million over the cap and very old. They're closer to a full-scale rebuild than they are to contention, in my opinion, personally, from a roster-building perspective. Defense especially, yes. And defense as well. But even offensively, you got Slater, Johnson. You need a new Mm -hmm. center. You Trey Pipkins is under contract for one more year. You think that they should draft a tackle, which I think is totally reasonable. If they draft a tackle, they need another receiver somewhere along the way. They need a running back and defensively, they need help at every single level Mm -hmm. of the defense. So in a vacuum, I think this is a nuke the shit out of this thing. Let's get a clean slate in 2025 Mm -hmm. and then we can start building it up. Does Jim Harbaugh want to be a part of that? Is that his timeline? Or if you spin it the other way, does he want to work with a blank slate because he wants to build the roster in his image? So I don't think it tips their hand either way. To me, it just leads to a lot of compelling questions about what the direction of the team is going to look like. There's, of course, the coaches he hires is going to be huge. The free agency, well, how free agency goes is going to be huge. I just want to bring it up again is that that first pick where they trade back, what position they go after is going to be so telling to me. Like, because it's like, are they going to get more picks and think, well, we got to revamp this, this, and this, and this? Or we think we're going with the line? Are we getting a weapon? Like, I don't know. I think that pick is going to be so, so telling. Like a lot of teams, the picks are telling because that's what they're investing in. So with Harbaugh, especially, it's just, it's, again, I feel like I've expected this and now I'm coming to grips with it. And a lot of it, there is a lot that I do like. I want to just emphasize that I do like most of this, but there are questions. It's not a perfect slam dunk like none of these hires are. And I just think with Herbert, it's much better to have this streamlined thing. He's going to, Harbaugh's going to find an answer. It might not always be pretty. Sometimes it's brute force, but he's going to work at it. And I think that's a way more interesting to have somebody with a consistent vision with a quarterback like this. And that's why I'm like, I'm okay with this. I actually want to see where this goes because at least it's consistent going from what Telesco was doing at GM, like drafting these certain types of players and the scheme that was being run. There was always a disconnect here. 
at least there's going to be a hive mind. It's going to be Harbaugh's hive mind, but hey, at least that's better, I think, than what they brought, had previously. I think that's a great, great point. And when I was yeah. playing devil's advocate earlier, it was mostly to play devil's advocate. Absolutely. I'm excited to see what this looks like because you talk about a consistent vision and it's a vision of physicality. Yeah. And that being the feel Every of this organization time. when you compare it to what they felt like over the last couple of years, that is a drastic departure, especially on offense. They could just never figure out the run game. And when you look at the way they built the staff and the way that they constructed the offensive system when Staley got there, it all makes sense on paper. You know, we're getting a little bit of the yep. Shanahan stuff yep. and we're getting a little bit of the Sean Payton dropback stuff where we can kind of make the quarterback the system and his mental acuity really drives this thing forward. He's going to have all the checks, yada, yada, yada. It all makes sense on paper, but it is a little bit discombobulated and it is a little bit scattered. And yeah. when you have a consistent vision at the forefront of this, it's easier to not feel scattered. And I think that's probably why this was attractive to them. This is a program building. Yes. We have an identity sort of decision. And I can understand going that direction when you've been searching for one over the last few years. And uh, just one last thought on this is that I know we're talking about the run game and everything, but the, you know, the key is Herbert. And I remember those Stanford teams with Andrew Luck there. And that's the last time Harbaugh's had a dude at QB. McCarthy's a nice player. But, you know, Kaepernick was a nice player, Alex Smith, but they're all not Herbert and they're not Andrew Luck and he let it rip. <laughs> so that's the thing is there's going to be a lot of run stuff, but there's going to be a lot of stuff down the field. And I think it, it, there is, there is a path for this to look really, really fun and really explosive, but with some Harbaughness to the whole picture. <laughs> which I think will be fun. If you guys want to hear more about the Jim Harbaugh news from the college side of things, please go listen to our friends on the Until Saturday feed, breaking down everything this means for Michigan and the world of college football. Breaking news as we record this. I just saw it. Raheem Morris is going to be the next head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. That is a inspired hire. I'm so pumped. I, I am that. so pumped. I, I wanted him to get one of these jobs so bad yeah. because I, if we had gone through this cycle and we got to a place where Raheem Morris wasn't worth hiring as a head coach, I, I just great. would have been shocked. I hit, everything about him is appealing in this role. He, The first time he was a head coach was 15 years ago. The guy was in his early 30s mm-hmm. and now he's gone through the last decade in the NFL. He has touched so many different kinds of football. Yep. He's been an offensive coach. He's coached in different defensive systems. He's been under the Tomlin system. He was in the Jim Hazlitt type of system. He played in that Tampa he coached in, in that Tampa Kiffin. cover two system. Now yep. he learned kind of the Fangio sort of system, what they did in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. He put his own spin on that. Everything about, in my opinion, what you want as a head coach, football knowledge, perspective, culture building, just the right presence and uh, ability to kind of command the room. He has all of those things. And I, I am so excited that he got another shot at this because of everyone up for these jobs, I think he probably deserved it the most. He's a developer and it's a team that has a lot of young talent that needs developing. And I think I love that. And I love that you brought up all his his resume of, of being offense, being defense. Also, he's done clock management, game management stuff. When I, I know anecdotally, when I was with the Falcons him the first time, he was in, in all those meetings with Dan Quinn, learning all that stuff, probably because he was also a head coach before. And also, like you said, just all the defensive background. I think this is what he did this past season, even if the defense was average at best, the fact that it average was average at best is a miracle. <laughs> average at best is a miracle. That is, he outplayed it. Like they, and those guys played smart. 
those guys, it was a unique style to their own, which I always just kind of like. Like you said, he put his own kind of fingerprints on the Fangio type of defense. So I love this because I was kind of disappointed. I was like, man, you know, his name kind of it got he got a couple of interviews and it kind of fell off. And I was kind of just looking at the news and kind of reading tea leaves. Like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. So I, I really like this for the Falcons. I think Raheem Morris is one of my favorite candidates in this cycle, and I'm happy that he's really happy that he's getting a shot at it again. I was having a conversation with someone last year. It was a person who had worked in analytics for the Steelers. And you wouldn't necessarily think that Mike Tomlin is the most forward-thinking analytical thinker in all of football. He's kind of an old-school guy. Coach committee. Just, that, that's not the connection that you would make. Competition committee, sorry. But the, <laughs> yeah, but this person was telling me, he was like, Mike, Mike Tomlin knows more about football yes, than anyone I've ever met. If if you look under every rock of the way the game is thought about, the way the game, mm-hmm. the way that can, you conceive of the game, Mike Tomlin is just in a different stratosphere, and that's kind of along with ability to connect with people is one of his superpowers. And I kind of feel like Raheem Morris has developed that same sort of background now, where he's seen the game from so many different places and from so many different perspectives that he's very well suited to this role, where you have to be able to see everything. Offense, defense, from every single angle. And I think he's just set up to be that sort of coach at this stage. And that's beyond the culture stuff. Like Sean McVay was in a bad way last year. And I think Raheem Morris did a lot of lifting in that building to kind of keep things on the track. So everything about his resume, I think, leads you to believe that he deserved another one of these shots. And him getting it leads to a pretty fascinating question about what is going to happen with Bill Belichick. Is he just right. not going to get one of these jobs? Because it really does seem like it's trending in that direction. And I was kind of, again, I was resigned to Harbaugh to the Chargers. I was resigned to Belichick to the Falcons. Kind of, I was like, what are you guys doing? All right. If this, you guys want to go down this path, I guess. So I, I don't know. I thought for sure he was going to be ending up somewhere, just somewhere. It just did. It just felt weird that he, Belichick would not occupy one of the seats at the table, but. I don't know. Uh, ben Johnson's still available. Mike McDonald, who might not be doing it this year. And I don't uh, even think Washington has talked to Bill Belichick. I think nope, they nope. had leaked a couple weeks ago that they Falcons weren't going to. Falcons are the only one, I think. And so we only have three left now, right? Two left. Seattle two and left. Washington are the only That's two. It. I can't imagine either one of them going with Belichick. No. I would bet like Washington with Ben Johnson. That would be my yeah. guess with having that pick at number two. I think that's an easy one. Seahawks, I could see going a ton of different directions. Kafka, Vrabel. I mean, they any of those types of guys. And those but, seem much more likely than Belichick at this stage. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, it's funny, man. When we were talking about this, I don't know, week 10, week 12, when this idea was coming up about if Belichick was going to get fired and whether he would get another job and everyone just writing it in pen that he was going to, I, it I was mean, surprising to me. I just, when you look at the way the last couple of years had went and you think about, again, the organizational dynamics in play with Belichick, where he's going to want a ton of power, he's bringing a pretty insular collection of assistants mm-hmm. for the most part. Even what's happened in New England, we haven't really talked about this because it hasn't been in front of mind. The guys that I'm hearing thrown out as interviews for Drod Mayo's staff, like he's interviewing Christian Parker to be his defensive coordinator, who is the yeah. DB's coach in Denver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's interesting that's cool. to me. Like, so there's just so much more creativity coming out yeah. of the building already. And the idea that everything we heard about Belichick that was being leaked out in terms of names and staff was kind of the same old guys. I'm not shocked that owners that are really obsessed with how you're building your staff, where things go from here, are looking at Belichick and just kind of saying, I'm not sure if I want to commit to living that life. 
And it's a great reminder that's 2024 and not 2014, not 2004. And it's like, yeah. it's, it changes quick. For, and But also it's like, yeah, you have to stay up to date and you can't, sometimes it is my way or the highway when it's back then. <laughs> and now you have to be adaptable. And my, my big question now is who comes with him? What does his staff look like? Is yeah. this something where he takes one of the guys from the Rams? Does he look outside of that? Because he's been somebody who's been around and been a lot of different places. So the feel of the Atlanta Falcons organization with Raheem Morris at the helm. Interested to see it. Interested and to see how it plays out. Another member of the 2016 Falcons with a head coach job. Just, just It's cool that he went back. Up. You know, like he, I, he had, I was there it. in a bunch of different roles. I, I think that's very cool that he landed there. Him and Terry Fontenot, I, I think, is going to be a cool pairing. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. But I'm happy that it broke he, now and not five minutes after we started recording or stopped recording. <laughs> it was perfect, too. It was like right as we wrapped up the first segment, too. It was like, whoop, we're right into it. Let's take in the NFC South. Other head coaching news that came out today. Dave Canellis, after one year as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive coordinator, is now the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Good for Dave Canellis, man. <laughs> what a come up. <laughs> just quick this is one. a reminder to me that there is opportunity everywhere in the mm. NFL. Because mm. going into the season, it really felt like Todd Bowles was a lame duck head coach. They were had moved on from Byron Leftwich. That this was objectively, if you look at a lot of the details around it, a bad offensive coordinator job. Lame duck coach, Baker Mayfield is your starting quarterback. And Dave Canellis turned what felt to some people, I'm sure, like a no-win situation into a head coach into a head coaching job because of how well he did with Baker Mayfield on the heels of the job that he did with Geno Smith. Baker's I guess Baker's woes is Canellis's gains because it was just what everyone's perception of Baker. Man, also like People have been really going like, man, Baker. They're acting like he was like barely playable. It was like, you know, he was below average, but it wasn't like he was like one of the worst quarterbacks in the world <laughs> like the last couple of years. It's been pretty funny kind of the dynamic change with that. But he, I mean, the he, guy was on his fourth team in like no, I get that, two but, years. He'd been but, cast aside by the NFL like like, decision-making brass. I acting like he looked like Zach Wilson, you know? It wasn't that bad. It was like, It was not good, but I will say though, is he had a solid year and Canellis was a big part of it. I thought the passing game made a lot of sense. Give it to the big guy. And also, but you see other guys improving. Kate Otten looked way more dynamic, dynamic than I ever thought he would. This offensive coordinator, Canellis, was giving Otten jet sweeps in the preseason. Like he was, <laughs> I was, okay, try it. Why not? And that's what they tried to do. It was sound. The run game, the run game they tried. <laughs> it wasn't consistent, but they tried. It was never when I watched it where I was like, man, that's why are you running into that box? Or why are you running that play against this? It was always like, oh, that guy got beat. All right. Well, those that double team didn't work. I got I understood the reason why. To me, this is all I can assume as a film watcher, stuff that re- read stuff in between the lines is that at least he got the most out of this unit, which is all you can bet on. And for a guy that took a chance really on himself, he bet on himself. Why not? Just keep betting on himself. Let's let's see what what else he can maximize for a team that really played to their lowest standards this past year in the Carolina Panthers. It really seems like he's a very good communicator. You know, he's yeah. got something about him that people are really drawn to. I understand that. And what they're going to try to sell, I assume, is if you look at the last two years, Gino written off, career backup, somebody yep. that just was forgettable in the football space, career year gets paid. Baker written off, forgettable in the, in this world has one of the best seasons of his career and completely revives his career under Dave Canales. What do the Panthers need with their quarterback? Right. 
they need somebody to come in and revive Bryce Young after the year that he just had. And having someone who can maybe instill that confidence, have that guy walking around with just a different sense of himself, which I think happened over the last couple of years, that's important. And I think that's important for the entire building. The question is, when you change the scope of working with the quarterbacks or just being the offensive coordinator to the head coach of the organization, does that translate? Can you translate that communication and that sort of vibe to the entire organization from just a positional meeting room or even an offensive meeting room. They're very different jobs. You're pulled in a lot of different directions, but it seems to me like that is the bet that the Panthers are making. Yeah. Also another guy, it's like, all right, who comes with him? And also another thing where I think he's keeping the defense coordinator, which is, I think, very, very smart move. In Carolina? Uh, Yeah. Oh, if you can, absolutely you should. I I think they are, like for sure. So it's like, yeah, yeah, just sweet. Uh, but I would say yeah, one that, less thing to have to worry about, right? Yeah. One less thing to have to have yes. to pull you away from focusing yes. on developing Everybody the quarterback should. and making sure you get that right. Trying to get Evero. But I would say that this is something I maybe ran into in my coaching world, not so much in the NFL, but when I was a GA, is the communication has to be consistent when it's the head guy is also the quarterback coach. Uh, de facto quarterback coach is that on that staff, you have an OC. On the staff, you have a quarterback coach. On staff, you might have an assistant quarterback coach. On that staff, you might have a quality control coach that's in the quarterback room. If the head coach is the guy, he has to be consistent making sure that chain of command gets down to the quarterback because this is where I think I saw it a little bit last year in this Panthers building is, okay, the QB coach says one thing. Great, great coach says another thing. It's happened a bunch of places. So many places. And I think the Rams in the second year with, uh, and Jared Goff's second year was the best version of it where McVay's like, get, you know, get the fuck out of the way. I got it, guys. <laughs> you know, okay, help me with the scheme and um, you make it consistent, but I got Philly it. Philly is another example of it going wrong and near the yeah. end of Doug Peterson's yes. time in Philadelphia where yes. Rich Gangarello was there and you had all of these different voices in Carson Wentz's ears. Yes. So I think trying to streamline that, streamline and having it. it be one distilled voice is actually a very important thing to bring when up. that's the main thing you have to do get this quarterback right i think that's the main thing he has to get cleaned up and so to me that is where it can go askew so that's where i'm i'm very curious where it just goes but i do think keeping the dc and evero is like okay all right whew, that's a really nice box to check as if you're a first-time head coach who's springboarded into this good for dave canellis man there haven't yeah. been that many guys recently who've had only a single year as a coordinator and have gotten head coaching jobs. Brandon Staley on the defensive side. Yep. Kevin Stefanski had one full year as the offensive coordinator for the Vikings, but he was an interim the year before, so it was really like a year and a half. Yeah. Most it guys, it was at least two years as as offensive coordinators before they get this role. So yep. it's a fast rise for Dave Canales, but I understand the appeal if you're Carolina. One more bit of coaching news. Vic Fangio. Seems like he is on track to be hired as the Eagles defensive coordinator. A mutual parting of the ways, reportedly yeah. with him and the Miami Dolphins after one season together. Kind of a weird situation. Only lasting one year in Miami. It's not like that defense was bad. They were very good in the back half of the season yes, when they were. they were healthy. And so now you have Miami needing a replacement at defensive coordinator. And you have the Eagles getting the guy they probably wanted all along yeah. after he was a consultant in the building last year. And they couldn't hang on to him. They went straight to the source. Said, "Yeah, no more bottled, bottled water. Let's go straight to the river." They <laughs> no, but it's the, my biggest question is: Is he bringing a half dozen starters with him to from Miami to Philly? That that is my number one thing. This defense is great when you have a bunch of 
ass kickers up front and David Long cleaning some stuff up at the linebacker position and Jalen Ramsey. And, you know, that, that really does help a couple of good safeties. Uh, I think that is number one thing. They have to replenish the personnel. It was never the scheme for me when I watched this, this defense. The offensive scheme had some issues, but it was personnel for the defense. And that's been, that was a consistent thing. I, we've talked about this. This is one of the stories of the year, I, not just for this show, but I think period in the NFL. And I think every time we talk about what can the Eagles defense do, me and you just kind of chuckle, be like, they need dudes, they need reinforcements, they need horses, whatever term you want to use. So I think that's still the question this team has to answer. But getting Fangio and getting it straight, you know, from the sources, at least if you want to be in this world, if this is the defensive scheme you want to be in, at least get the guy that like is his specialty. I think we've learned that a lot over the last couple of years where just hiring off a scheme or hiring off a tree yes. is not always the answer. Uh, I was talking to a head coach last off season. We were discussing this is that you can't just pick a scheme like who, who calls it matters. And that's a really important thing to consider. So yep. getting the guy who calls it the best of everyone yep. on this scheme yep. and who's been in charge of evolving it and pushing it yep. forward and making sure it has answers. It's not a bad place to land. So we'll see how much Vic Fangio can do with subpar personnel if those improvements aren't made, or we'll see how aggressive the Eagles are at trying to tweak this thing, get some more horses in there, and give themselves a shot next year. And, and I know this is the number one thing Eagles fans care about for their defense. He does blitz. So don't worry, guys. He, he does blitz. He, he, he'll bring it. Like I know everyone thinks it's a soft defense, but he'll bring some blitzes. So don't worry, because it's the number one question, it seems like, the last couple of years. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's dig into this. Woo. We have two fantastic games. We're going to go in chronological order here. Let's start with the AFC Championship game. Chiefs at Ravens. Ravens are minus three and a half. It, it doesn't get any better than this mm -mm. with the quarterbacks. This is the story game where I'm just completely bought into all things narrative as regard, in regard to the quarterbacks. <laughs> Lamar about to win his second MVP, really establishing himself kind of in the hierarchy of quarterbacks around the NFL. Mahomes, obviously, we've said this a million times. Mm -hmm. It's worth mentioning every time we do this. He is in a tier all of his own. He belongs in a tier all of his own until further notice. Yep. That is still the case. But when you talk about those other guys, who has a seat at the table? Lamar has, I think, announced himself. He has made it so there is absolutely no doubt remaining that he is one of those guys. But now the chance to beat Mahomes in the playoffs as part of that conversation, I love it. I love having to slay the dragon at the end of the road if you're going to get all the way there. And that's exactly what the Ravens and Lamar are set up to do right now. It went from, oh, 
when we did our QB draft, it's like, where would I take Lamar and Derek Lassen? Luckily, sniped him nice and high. And I was like, he, oh, that, that, that's funny. All fitting, the credit I thought, to Derek Lassen. I had a he top has, choice at five. I remember I was like, oh, do I take Lamar here? And there, there's Derek at four, nailing it. And that's where I think he is Lamar no matter what. I think, to me, the three that no matter what, it's Mahomes, of course, in his tier, but then Allen and Lamar in that kind of 1B tier is like they have solidified to me three of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> That's what I'm kind of narrowing it down to. Because at first I was always like, is it two guys? Is it three guys? Four feels right, especially with the battle that kind of goes on. Um, I think that was- if you're making, if you want to make an argument for who belongs on that second line, I am fine with that second line being Lamar, mm-hmm. Josh Allen, mm-hmm. Herbert, and Burrow. I think I'm fine with that being the second line. And we talked about Stroud, and I, I was a little drunk on CJ Stroud a couple weeks ago. And we're projecting forward. I'm very, very you know excited about CJ Stroud. I'm actually very proud of you for, for taking a deep breath. <laughs> oh, it's – I and projecting but it forward – But don't get me wrong. In the moment. Projecting the it moment. forward, I love that guy. And I, yeah, I would yeah. I would still take him over a lot of guys. Yeah, yeah. But if we really want to take a step back and we're looking backwards as much as we're looking forwards, I would say that that's how I'll phrase it. If we're looking backwards as much as we're looking forwards, that tier on the second line of those four guys with Allen, Herbert, Burrow, and Lamar, I think that's that's the group. And I think that it has kind of crystallized this year, in my opinion. Yeah. I might have this is gonna be roasted, but I have maybe I know, a half half tier below I, that. I know you I know you do. I, I know. know you do. I know. To me it's a four and then it's the group well, one, then three. Then it's a group of a couple more, a few more that I would put in there. And I would put Stroud in that group. So I guess that would be tier three, technically, or tier tier two, because there's one A, one B. But I think that that group, you know, that's where I have Burrow in there. Trevor, Stroud, Love, maybe. Uh, you know, those guys are kind of creeping in there, which I think is going to be a very fun discussion in probably May. <laughs> and not, not January in the championship round. <laughs> so let's get back to it. The most, to me, the coolest aspect of this on both sides of the ball, I mean, this is going to be talked about as Lamar versus Mahomes, right? But my favorite matchups here are the quarterbacks against the defensive mm-hmm. coordinators. So let's start with Lamar against Steve Spagnolo and what sort of challenge that presents with the Chiefs defense. If, if you're a Lamar, what are you most worried about facing a Steve Spagnolo defense? Oh, it's Steve Spagnolo is going to chew bubblegum and blitz the quarterback. He's all out of bubble gum. I'm just going to use my joke from my article because that is what he, that's what he's going to do. It's not he he will maybe bolo punch you for a, a quarter or a couple drives. Spags is going to blitz, and so that is the number one thing that Lamar Jackson and this offense have to account for. <laughs> and I think Jackson, because of Munkin modernizing the uh, the pass game and having the best group of pass catchers ever. Lamar is able to have now be more as consistent as he ever been against the mm-hmm. Blitz. I think he's always been up and down because he's going to hunt. He, if you know, he, you're heating him up. He's going to attack downfield. He's going to try and create a play. I think what's really cool is Lamar this season barely scrambles against the Blitz. He hangs in there and he is knifing Blitzes up from the pocket. And even just looking last week, his first pass attempt of the entire game was a all-out blitz from the Texans, cover zero on second down because D'Amico Ryans was – he was going to throw everything at him. And two free runners on the play. Lamar drifts in the pocket, lets Safe Flowers win on a double move, and then like sidearms it for a first down. Easy easy conversion. Easy for me to say as I'm watching all 22. But I want to use that play as con- contrast of why I got frustrated with Baker on Sunday. Same exact kind of look. Baker double clutches and takes a sack. Lamar is creating these first downs with it. 
but Lamar has been throwing from the pocket way more than he did his last MVP season overall and against the Blitz. Uh, Lamar has passed outside the pocket only 14.9% of the time. His MVP season in 2019, it was 21% of the time, 21.7 technically. That year is second behind Russell Wilson. This year, he is 15th. He's tied with Dak, and he's just above Gardner Minshew. So not, ex- <laughs> you know, Russell, by the way, Russell Wilson is still ranked first in this category this year. So has stayed sticky for some quarterbacks, but now Lamar, this shows the growth of Lamar's game. It's maturation. That's it. That's it's what it's everyone's maturation. saying. It's so cool when you see it. And he's done, he's flashed it. And now he's doing it so well because the offense is asking him, but then you lay it out in the numbers. And it's like, there it is. That's exactly what it looks like when I watch Lamar Jackson, especially against the Blitz. Having these answers, what I was trying to think about Lamar in 2019 compared to Lamar now and how I would describe the difference with him as a passer. Maturation is a very good word. To me, it's just more surgical. The passing Surgical's game that they had in 2019, they just bludgeoned you. Yeah. All these play action shots, all these big over yeah. routes. There's grenades. It was explosive. That's what it yeah. was. Yeah. This, this is lasers. This, yes. this is just yes. laser that's focus it. all that's the it. time. And that's why it's so cool. So I think a lot of people are going to say, well, didn't the Texans blitz a lot last week? So why is this different? You know, he's already shown that he can handle that. This is a different sort of beast when we're talking about blitzing. First of all, the Texans are not yeah. a blitzing team. So you've already forced them into a spot where they're operating from a position of weakness. They're trying to throw a curveball at you that is not necessarily congruent with the way they want to play. 72% of the Texans blitzes last week had man coverage behind it. A good chunk of that was cover zero, but 72%. The Chiefs have a soundness behind those blitzes that's just a different sort of animal. They played zone on 54% of their blitzes this year, and that doesn't include any of the simulated stuff that is likely going to be coming Lamar's way. So figuring out the Chiefs blitzing you and figuring out the Texans blitzing you, very different, and I think that we're going to see that this weekend. Yeah, this, and I think the, the aspect, too, of that zone blitzes is just naturally think of man coverage and zone coverages. I'm not going to bring up a flag football example from my Atlanta Falcons days, so don't worry. <laughs> but is that eyes are going to be on the quarterback in zone blitzes. Their eyes are just going to be down because they're not drawn just to the man coverage assignment. If you're man-to-man on somebody, you're following them. Your eyes are on there. You're, if they run a vertical route, your back is to the quarterback. It's a natural way to scramble. But it's kind of a two-way thing here. Lamar's only scrambled or Lamar's only scrambled 4% of the time against the Blitz this year. This is way down. It was over 10% his last MVP year. So again, what you're talking about how it used to be grenades. Again, this is surgical from the pocket. The other thing is too, is the Chiefs this entire regular season only allowed one scramble when they blitzed. One scramble wow. when they blitzed. The entire year, I, I had to look to make sure it was right. right like I was like, I, have I mean, it makes on? sense though because they're going to have eyes want. on the quarterback when that's they it. do it. So, the, I mean, that's even more of an onus on him having to win from the pocket yes. and dice them up that way. So, and it's a fantastic challenge. If we if we want to see is. this version of Lamar kind of answer all of the questions along the way, I think this is the perfect challenge at this stage to really get a sense of how much he has grown. And that's why I love these moments for these guys. It's the last great. Lamar stat I wanted to throw out because I thought this was absolutely wild. This is from Next Gen Stats. Lamar has won the game 62% of the time when he's pressured more than 40% of the time. <laughs> I know that's a convoluted stat. <laughs> yeah, For context, the NFL average is 36%. Okay. So he's won 62% of his games when he's pressured at that rate. The NFL average is 36%. 
That's insane. It's not surprising. No. But that's how good he is at mitigating some of these circumstances. Kind of, and that's why this matchup rules. It's kind of playing into his hands. You're like, okay, hey, Lamar, go create every play. Oh, yeah. That, that's kind of what happens. I, I will say it's the Chiefs when they uh, when against the QB run game and against not just scrambles but design runs, they will allow a lot of successful plays but not a lot of explosive plays, mm-hmm. which is kind of kind of – what their whole defense has been a lot more of this year, which is yeah, they don't thing. they don't allow explosives at no. all. I mean, it's one of they, the lowest rates in the NFL. So they face the fourth most designed QB runs this year in the entire NFL. They are 25th in success rate against QB designed runs. They did not allow an explosive run on any of those. Zero for 38. So again, they're going to make you work for it, even if you are might get those six yard gains, seven yard gains. Got to get ten of them as opposed to maybe just one thirty or forty. It's this is a different defense than we've seen this Chiefs defense uh, against the Bengals in the playoffs the last couple of years, where it's here's the blitz and then there is you know T Higgins and Jamar Chase dunking on somebody. I've got to bring his name up because anytime I talk about bad Chiefs defense, Dan Sorensen trying to run to the deep half, way different type of defense because they are a more sound tackling team. Even if Lamar is very good at this, it's going to be kind of a fun little one on one, I guess, against the blitzer versus the scrambler. I think that Spags against Lamar as a passer is fascinating. And I think it's a pretty even matchup where I do think the Ravens have an advantage is that you can run on this team. You've been able to run on this team. And we saw it as recently as last week with the bills. And what's funny is that the chiefs match personnel. So when the bills were trotting out all the jumbo personnel last week, extra offensive linemen, 12 personnel, the chiefs had three linebackers on the field. They Mm -hmm. still could not stop the run. The Bills had a 64% rushing success rate against the Chiefs' base defense last week. So if they're going to match the these Patrick Ricard 21-12, however you want to define yeah. it, looks that the Ravens want to run out of, they're going to need to show us that they can stop the run out of those looks because the Ravens are arguably the best rushing team in the NFL. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, too, is you mentioned the linebackers, and one particular, Leo Chanel, has been just, go Badgers, has been just kind of a, it's, I don't know. I'm going to say a, ch- a queen on the chessboard. I'll say like a rook, maybe, because he's very good moving straight straight forward. <laughs> and that's that's why you want to use him. But how uh, Spags has really kind of used him as this kind of quasi linebacker defensive tackle. He's better at the point of attack than he is like moving sideline to sideline at this it's point, which is kind of strange for somebody of his position. It's explosive. You just want him to go straight. He's a plugger. That's why everyone wanted him as in the Patriots defense. I mean, seriously. But. I think how they were using them even last week against the Bills, was it always perfect? No, but I like how they just used the personnel groupings. They would they were getting into a essentially a five, six dime personnel. But it was four defensive linemen and Chanel, but let's call Chanel a defensive tackle here, let's be honest. So five basically defense alignment plus six DBs. And some of the looks were just kind of Oh, that's interesting. It'll cause you pause if you're uh, if you're an offensive player and you just see this. Okay, first the personnel is weird. All right, now they're bringing a man blitz out of that, so now you don't have to worry about Chanel, you know, covering anybody. He's just blitzing. He's again, he's another defensive lineman. What was so cool? We just brought all these zone blitzes. The wrinkle that they did last week, and they've done this before, it's like a robber blitz where the robber safety who will lurk in the middle of the field, he's technically on the running back, but the running back might get caught up in protection, mm-hmm. so it's a bonus dropper. And has a benefit of keeping eyes on the quarterback. That and so I don't know. I think if you can get Lamar to throw, they like to throw quick. They like to throw slants. They like to throw flats. 
that can maybe be another answer for this defense to have maybe that lurking safety over the middle. So just kind of a change up. I noticed that they did last week and I was like, Oh, I wonder if, I wonder if they lean more need to do that. The other one was they did a little odd three defense alignment, Chanel and Bolton, six DBs. And then it, so it was odd mirror. So Chanel and Bolton were looping on either side to like, in case Allen scrambled at all. So yeah. And they did a lot of that where they had, yeah. to, they made sure that they had eyes on them. The pass rush it's wasn't pin your ears back and just let it roll. No, so it's I'm not. assuming we see more of that against Lamar. And I'm really curious about how the Ravens are going to try to use the run game to dictate the way that this side <laughs> of the ball feels. Well, yeah. And also one player for particular for the Chiefs has to step, step up his game. And that's uh, you, best some of the stuff you pointed out about Chris Jones in the run game this week in the piece you wrote for Yahoo, I thought was fascinating. What Struck did you me. find when you were looking back at some of the stats with him in the in run defense specifically this year? So Jones is, and this is a compliment is one of the best closers in the NFL. I, I love this term. Romo has used it a lot, but I know others have used it, but he shuts the door on offense, whether it's a drive, usually third downs or whether it's in the fourth quarter. And, you know, this team has played with a lot of leads the last few years because they have this guy named Patrick Mahomes. So he's kind of that perfect kind of element to throw in. The thing is, he's kind of been up and down against the run. He will pick and choose his spots, which is interesting for a six foot six, 310 pound man that winds up on the inside and the outside. And he's known as a mauler who's very good against the run and the pass. So I've known that anecdotally watching the Chiefs defense the last few years, you know, that he'll take some plays off. That's totally normal. A lot of the best players do. You can't bring it 100% as much as we want these guys to do it. Totally get it. It was a little more pronounced this year. And I think there was a lot to Chris Jones's contract going into the year. Kind of led to some funkiness. Signed a one-year kind of deal. Uh, has a lot of incentives about sacks, which Chris Jones has been top 12 in pressure rate this year. His sack, uh, getting after the quarterback has not been an issue. But playing the run has. So Chris Jones has 18 tackles against the run this entire year. Okay. All right. That's, all right. What does that mean, Nate? Thank you for asking. Jones was a first team all pro this year. Okay. The other all pro defensive tackles on first and second team. This is their numbers and tackles against the run. And yeah, Dexter Lawrence with 34, Justin Matabike with 33, Aaron Donald with 28. Oh, by the way, those are just through the first three quarters. Chris Jones only has nine tackles in the first three quarters of games this entire season. Against the run, he is not. Unless the run comes right at him, he's kind of just, he, he's picking and chooses his spots. But just to such an extreme measure, there's been some narrative. Oh, this, why does this chief defense get better in the second half? Some of that is Spags adjustments. Don't get me wrong, but some of it is just their best player starts kind of playing. <laughs> he starts <laughs> that, showing that tends up. to help. Yeah. It, it really helps. So it gets more striking. It's like, oh, well, okay. That's funny. Ha ha. He doesn't get a lot of tackles, but it's like, this is like historically low for not only just any defense alignment or pass rusher, but even just a defensive tackle, especially. So since uh, since 2019, there have been 91 defenders with 10 or more sacks, okay, or seasons with 10 or more sacks. Jones has nine tackles against the run through the first three quarters. That's only better than three other seasons. So he basically he ranks 88th in that metric. Two Trey Hendrickson seasons and a Josh Uche season. Who's a designated Those, pass rusher? Designated pass rushers. Those guys that they're they're not paid to to play the run. They're actually net negatives against the run. Way net negatives against the run. As much as I like Henderson, as much as I like Uche, Chris Jones is known as a mauler defensive tackle that can line up on the outside, that can kick ass, play the run, and play the pass. So it just there's numbers that show up with the eye test with this, and it really it's just an effort thing because when he cranks it up. He dominates. Yeah. Look at him pushing Deion Dawkins, who's a Pro Bowl, was my second team All Pro left tackle, into Josh Allen. Like so he, that's my question about this game: is where where does he line up? 
when they when oh, they yeah. have those gotta have it moments, and when it's third down, when it's defined pass situations, where do they think he's best? Is it over the left tackle? Is it over the right tackle? Yeah. We've seen the tackle rotations with the Ravens. Is it one of those snaps where Daniel Falele is playing right tackle? Is it one of those snaps where Patrick McCarry is playing left tackle? Do they think it's best inside? Where they think Chris Jones is best and where those matchups are at their advantage, I think that's a big question coming into this game. It definitely is, especially when you have to guard Lamar Jackson. <laughs> like, Do you want Chris Jones reading a play? Like, Do you want him? My, my vote is no. No, no my, you don't. my vote is you don't. no to that. You don't. To me, I, I line up on him up on the inside. I think he has a physical – I can tell Steve Spagnuolo how to do his job. But I just – I think how – you know, Tyler Linderbaum is really good, but Chris Jones probably has 30 pounds on him. Uh, I think also Zeitler is – Kevin Zeitler, the right guard, you know, solid. But, you know, Jones is, has a matchup advantage on him. Simpson versus Jones would be a great uh, uh, Haas fight. <laughs> so I'm actually kind of a little very interested in that one, but I think you kick around the inside, you know. But I think what's cool about what how they use Jones is him and Carl Loftus have that kind of two man inside outside game. So it's going to be interesting how they use them. The other thing, personnel wise, I think is worth mentioning: Mark Andrews potentially back in this game. So how does that affect? what the Ravens are going to do on offense. Is he going to play? Because if they want to live in those 12, 21 personnel looks and they get him and likely on the field together, what is, what sort of threats does that present? And then this chief's collection of DBs against this Ravens collection of pass catchers. Mm -hmm. This is one of the only games you'll see all year where the Ravens with flowers, Bateman and Odell Beckham are not a decided advantage against the three corners that they're going to be playing against. And that is something that the chiefs have shown all season. I mean, what Snead and McDuffie have done, week in and week out this year is pretty ridiculous. This is a very, very hard team to throw the ball against. And again, that's why it gets back to, do they establish themselves on the ground? Because that is the path of least resistance. I I think they do. I think even with Chris Jones, even this has always been a thing against the Steve Spagnuolo defenses. Usually you can run on them because he's just so crazy and so exotic and guys are moving around everywhere. It's just, it's a little pronounced for the first three quarters, but they are okay. But this is a strength of this Ravens team, whether it's the running back or the quarterback. Uh, and also the Chiefs struggle against shotgun runs to the running back. That's another element to this. So it's a it's a little a big time strength there. I also want to say that you'll see probably a lot more guys on the move against these blitzes. So look for a lot more slants and quick hitters as opposed to Isaiah likely dunking on a guy. You know that that that's because that was a man matchup. So look for more just kind of those slants, crossers, flats, a lot of quick hitters. I, I think that's what they evolved to in the second half last week. I think they can kind of continue it this week. On the other side of the ball, another fantastic matchup between quarterback and defensive coordinator with Patrick Mahomes going against Mike McDonald. Before we dig into this, I want to ask you, is this the best defense that we think Patrick Mahomes has ever played in the playoffs? Because I was looking back over the last five years, and if you look at the metrics and even anecdotally, I think the answer to that might be yes. The first one that comes to mind is that 2019 49ers. And I'm just trying to think who else he's facing the playoffs. They had a dominant front, like a truly dominant yeah, yeah, front. Yeah. But they, they were chip helping. <laughs> they were yeah. borderline top ten if you look yeah. at a lot of different metrics, like EPA per play, DVOA. They were like seventh, eighth. They were very good, but yeah. they were not the sort of dominant unit that this Ravens wow. team is. The other mm-hmm. candidate, if you wanted mm-hmm. to throw it out there, would be the 2021 Bills. Okay. Okay. They led the NFL in EPA per play on defense. They had the exact same EPA per play as this Ravens team does. Okay. Okay. The Bills played the 31st ranked schedule on of opposing offenses according to DVOA that year. The Ravens are fourth this year. Yeah, that's a big difference. Yeah. So 
I I really do think might this be. might be the best defense that he has ever played in the playoffs, and that's why I'm so excited about this. Yeah, at least one of, <laughs> at the very least, top two or three. Yeah, I know, but that's it is, and also it's the one thing I like. You see, I, I would always defer to if you're playing a talented quarterback and what how you do a defensive plan. Change the picture on them. Yeah, just, just like all over the place. You have to. You have to. These guys are just too good if you just stay static. And that's what you have to do. <laughs> so I, and I, it's also what the Ravens are a major in. It's what they do. They have perfected this year. They do as well as anybody I've seen the last, in recent memory, at least. So that's going to be awesome to watch. We're going to see the Rolodex coverages. We're going to see them throw Everything. a bunch of different shit at Mahomes. I want to know if you're Andy Reid, how do you attack this Ravens defense? Because I don't think we've seen very many teams this year have a good plan and we've seen them right. play against some of the best offenses in the NFL. They blanked the Dolphins. They shut down the Niners. The Rams had some success against them, but yeah. this is a defense that even if they haven't played against a lot of elite quarterbacks have played against a lot of elite offenses and mm-hmm. they've had an answer pretty much every step of the way. The the Rams example is the best answer I could have because they have a great run game. Chiefs don't. Chiefs do not this year. They just don't. Even if it has been better, it's still averageish and not a true, true top five-ish unit that you can build around. Um, but having said that, that is first and foremost what you have to do. Again, I just talked about this with Spags defense. That's more blitz happy. The Ravens will blitz. They do run simulates. But when you have a moving picture, pound the rock, wad it up. You know that's where you can get runs to pop, which is what the I thought the Rams did such a good job job of, especially in the first half in their matchup. The passing ball like ten times to start the game. It was awesome. It was awesome. It's beautiful. It's like a highlight of the year. And then they fell apart in the red zone, which should have been an indicator of what may have happened against the Lions. But uh And guess right. who's had problems in the red zone over the last couple of weeks? The Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. So even if they can move Don't the ball, is that something <laughs> <laughs> that Enough. creeps up again. So how how the the yeah. Chiefs go about this, I think, is is just such a fascinating question. Oh, yeah. And we've seen the Chief the Chiefs aren't as much of a motion at the snap team as some of these other teams have been, like what the Niners are, what the Rams are, what the Dolphins are. But the Chiefs do a very intentional job of motioning and shifting before the snap in order to get information. So I assume we're going to see a lot of that. We're going to see shifts. We're going to see motions. How much can you tell Patrick Mahomes before the play starts for that changing picture to matter a little bit less? Mahomes calls out the front when he gives his cadence. So you'll hear him say 42 even, even being even front. Interesting. I've heard it all year. I meant to, I've been meaning to bring it up. I might not hear it with some crowd noise this game, but I will. Why I'm bringing that up? It's probably going to hear a lot of words come out of his mouth because the defensive picture is going to change so much. So I'll be like even, odd, <laughs> odd, odd. You know, usually it's just like even, even like against the Bills last week. Even, 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 even because it was four down. Uh, but no, I, I was. I I, I was wondering if Chase talked about that. But that's that's so a- interesting though because especially in this game, that's why the Ravens are so cool. Because yeah. the Ravens do everything. Everything. The Ravens. Kaleidoscope. The Ravens have <laughs> the Ravens' best personnel, in my opinion, is their nickel personnel when Kyle Hamilton is in the slot. So that is big nickel. But they were very comfortable last week playing a lot of regular nickel, where Arthur Millett is in the slot and Kyle Hamilton's back there. They'll play base, but they'll play base with a four-man front. Where Malik Harrison is a stacked linebacker with the other two, they'll play base in a five-man front. Where Malik Harrison has walked on on the line of scrimmage, or it's Kyle Van Noy. When they're in nickel in passing situations and it's a four-man front, you have Odafe Owe as a pass rusher. When they're in their bigger personnel, you can have Kyle Van Noy there, and he can be a little bit more of a run stuffer. Like All of the different versions of this team. And the Lions are like that, too. The Lions yeah. will just throw a ton of stuff at you. 
it's different but, with the Ravens well, yeah, because yeah. the Ravens players are very good. Yeah. They have several all pros yes. and several yeah, several guys we call, you know, Swiss Army knives and all that. That I know, but that nickel thing is so interesting because um I think the one way, and I brought this up a few times, but also I think I think others have too now, is the Chiefs with all their tight ends. So doing the twelve and thirteen personnel stuff. Uh, last week was the most they've used multi-tight end looks ever since Mahomes has been a starter. Previous week, the most they've ever used 13% personnel, which is three tight ends since Mahomes has been a starter, which is interesting is you brought up all the personnel looks. The Ravens will match 12 personnel depending on their call, but also depending on the situation. Yeah. So notice this. This is the, like, I always, we usually use early downs, first and second down. So technically rundowns are first and 10 and second and one to six. And then there's second and long, which is own subcategory, but just kind of explaining game, how kind of game plans go. So first and 10 and second and one to six, a rundown, they will be in more base on second and 10 and longer. That's where we see the big nickel looks when you're going against 12 personnel or 21 personnel, like the 49ers or, or other teams that do that. But what's interesting is they're eh out of base, eh, 18th in combined success rate and explosive play rate. But you get them, when they're in sub, when they're in nickel, third five and they only average five yards per play as opposed and that's to why i think that that's where they'll that's go leads it, me to it, that unless it's 13 personnel i i think and against 12 they'll match it with nickel every single time because teams have yep. historically done that against kelsey i wonder when they go to the 13 personnel looks if they feel compelled to put more big bodies on the field or they I say too. we're gonna dare you to run the ball against us when we have five dbs and that's what the eagles did last year in the super bowl they said we'll dare you to keep running it and the chiefs are like okay and, yeah. they, and they did. <laughs> so, and but they were different, okay with different things different, because the Eagles' run defense was struggling last yes. year and the Chiefs' rushing offense was better last year. So exactly. a lot of different things to consider when you think about this matchup. Yep. Player-wise, and there's a lot of stuff to think about before we okay. get into this. Joe Tooney does not seem like he's going to play with that pec injury. So now you have Justin Matabike against a backup left guard. And one of the best things about the Chiefs' performance last week, they blanked at Oliver and Daquan Jones in that game. Those guys combined for zero pressures, according to next-gen stats. Does that happen again with Matt Abike going against the backup? The Ravens had 44 sacks this year with four or fewer pass rushers. That was nine more than any other team in the NFL. So they do not need to blitz to get pressure. And if they have a matchup advantage on the interior, that's something that the Chiefs haven't necessarily had to worry about. And there's plenty of other ones. Travis Kelsey against Kyle Hamilton oh, yeah. in some of those big nickel looks is going to be fascinating. And then Marlon Humphrey, who missed last week, probably going to be back this week. He is practicing. And if you go back and watch the very few wins that the Texans had, several of them were picking on Ronald Darby in one-on-one in some of those looks. And if Marlon Humphrey's out there, it's just one fewer pads you have to taking advantage of this Ravens defense. So yeah. I'm not putting anything against Mahomes. I would not be surprised if he lit it up again, but if he did against this defense with this version of the Chiefs offense, it's up there with the most impressive things he has ever done in the playoffs. It's I'm just fascinated. Like I'm it's always fun. We talked about this when we watch these good corners, how they play these good quarterbacks. And it's like, all right, so what's your answer this week, Mike? What you got? What you, what are you gonna throw at this guy? And Mahomes solves a lot. And he finds answers and my Andy Reid solves a lot. So they're motivated. <laughs> so let's see it. Like this is playoff Andy Reid. This is playoff Mahomes. And we're going against, the, like you said, one of the best looks, one of the best defenses he's ever gone against. And it's so funny that in maybe the biggest moments in these biggest games is like the best piece of advice almost is like, keep it simple. 
by keeping it heavier personnel and keeping this defense that wants to be exotic, keeping them simple. And I think that's why I keep coming back to like bigger bodies might come to it, but it's going to come down to the quarterback. Let's be honest. And it's going to come down to the coverage against them. Some of the details, I think it's so important to point out, like you did cadence, tempo, just all of those things where you can kind of control how the game is going as an offense. And this is one of those moments where I think it's important to remember how elite Mahomes is mentally. And just how he can win between the ears, information, how much he gathers, how much he sees. This is one of the perfect examples of that because too often I think we get intoxicated, and I'm guilty of this, by that second and eighth throw on the move to MVS. And we forget that this guy is as good as anybody in the mental aspect of the game. And that really, really matters against a defense like this. All all these guys, all the guys we just talked about uh, as, you know, the seats at the table. Lamar, Josh Allen, Mahomes, all of them are fantastic pre-snap now. Lamar, I watched him last week. I was I meant to tweet it, actually. Saw him change the protection point. They changed the play. It was perfect, and he diced him. Oh, no, he missed the throw, and that's why it was incomplete. He didn't miss the throw. It was incomplete, and that's why I didn't post it, because I know assholes on Twitter are going to go like, <laughs> oh, did you incomplete the throw? Uh, but also, Josh Allen, the last year and a half, two years, has become one of the best guys at changing protections, understanding the pre-snap. But having said all that, Mahomes has done this for several seasons, and this year he's leveled up even more. That cadence thing shows an understanding of what the defense is in, which means he's handling – like him and the offensive line are already on the same page right away, which is there's other quarterbacks we've talked about on the show that you want to see more of that, and this is what the these dudes are doing. They do the extension stuff, but then before the snap of the ball, they're winning. Selling a little or a lot – Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's get to our next game here. The NFC Championship game, Lions at Niners. Niners are a seven-point favorite at home against Detroit. On the AFC side, you have the superstar MVP quarterbacks, right? On this side... We have teams that have built borderline offensive juggernauts, but in a very different way. You have the first pick in the draft. A former mm-hmm. first pick in the draft is the quarterback in Detroit. You have the last pick in the draft as the quarterback at San Francisco, which I'm sure we'll hear a hundred times during the oh, broadcast. Sure. But the through line to me is taking guys that were seen as replaceable assets, surrounding them with elite talent all across the unit and an elite play caller. And allowing that guy to unlock a version of himself that most people never, ever could have predicted. That, to me, is what ties these teams together on that side of the ball. Oh, and just that these offenses are cool. <laughs> and, that, and they the, have cool the two players. two best watches and, in the league, potentially. I mean, it's. Yeah. I think you can make an argument that Ben Johnson and Kyle Shanahan have been the two best play callers in the NFL this season and maybe even over the last two seasons. Yeah, Johnson's just, again, he's the sniper. It's like you see it. They get into these certain areas, and, and sometimes they give it to Craig Reynolds because he's accidentally in the game. But hey, you don't ask geniuses how they how they work things out. No, but that <laughs> turns out I think uh, same the same Brown brothers I saw, podcast. I saw, I saw that, that was yeah. really that was actually kind of funny. It was actually like that's how it goes sometimes. It's like why is that guy in the game? It's like sometimes it just happens. It just like yeah, the position coach stuff. just shuttles somebody in. Shuttle, he's not even thinking about it. Yeah. They thought they were kicking a field goal. They're actually going for it. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I know. Sorry, but yeah, sorry to side tangent. But those guys, what McVay has done, but all of them, I think is just, they, again, they <laughs> commitment to the run game, but it's also just commitment to their players. Let their players work. Like what we get to see Brandon Ayuk become his best self. I'm on Ross St. Brown is his best self. They get used in awesome ways. I We're going to talk about in a second how guys like St. Brown and also how guys like um, Laporta are used interchangeably is something that's really cool, but not a lot of, and some, again, these are simple things, simple tweaks, but not, every, not a lot of the guys put the work in to get that out of their players. Cause that's an extra word to learn. That's an extra thing to have on the game plan. That's an extra play to practice. And it's like, these guys, it's just no matter who's in there, if backups are in there, these guys perform that Craig Reynolds example is just one. Remember Craig Reynolds wiping out the bucks player on, uh, I sure Donald do. Russell. Every guy plays hard. Every guy knows exactly what the F they're supposed to do. And uh, that's what both of these offenses do. And that's why they're awesome. What I love is that the offense is an expression of the personnel in a perfect way. Guys are utilized in the exact way that they should be utilized, right? Like Debo Samuel's skill set is perfectly expressed within the Niners offense. Christian McCaffrey's skill set is perfectly expressed within the Niners offense. What Brandon Ayuk is specifically for this Niners offense, what George Kittle is. And you can apply the same exact thinking to what the Lions offense is. Think about how Amon Ross St. Brown is used in this offense compared to how he might be in a lesser offense. Mm -hmm. What they've asked Sam Laporta to be. Laporta lining up as the number one receiver and like roasting corners on in-breaking routes within this offense is insane. Like that is already the type of player that he is. What they do with Penesul on the move. 
some of that tackle pull bluff stuff last week where he's getting out in space as this 340-pound just monster truck is insane. Jameer Gibbs is the same way. In a different sort of offense, you could look at a guy like Jameer Gibbs as a shiny toy that you didn't know how to deploy. And that is not at all how this feels with the Lions. And then you combine it all together with a quarterback that knows exactly how to take advantage of it. Like what they asked Jared Goff to be, what they asked Brock Purdy to be, could they be those guys in different offenses and different circumstances? Maybe not. But what they have created for those guys allows these offenses to thrive because of how specific and tailored it all is. And uh, the passing game is all from the pocket. Just few, few, few ball firing out. It's chunk plays. They're they're going for gashes, and the offense, good offenses, do that. <laughs> they go for gashes, and these, these are offenses, explosive offenses. Yes, the, I mean it's, it's not it exa- these are the top two teams in the NFL in twenty yeah. yard plays. The Niners are number one. The Lions are number two. And if you watch these teams, that feels right. In terms of the stakes here, it does feel like there's a level of urgency on the AFC side, right? Like the Ravens have to feel like this is our year. Like we have to do it this year. I know this is Mahomes. I know it's the Chiefs. We have to do it. And the Chiefs are contenders every single year with Patrick Mahomes. So there's always urgency. On the NFC side, I think the Niners have to feel the exact same way the Ravens do. Like, we've been building to this moment. We have to get this done. The Lions are the team that people didn't necessarily expect to be here, but I still think it's important to jump on these opportunities when you get them. Colton Pouncey, our excellent Lions writer, wrote about it this week. This could be the last dance with these guys, man. Ben Johnson might be taking that job in Washington. This group, as currently comprised might never be the same again. And I know that you look at how young they are, the cap space, and we'll talk about how they're built next week with Barnwell. And I'm actually very excited to dig into that conversation. But when you get this close, it's going to hurt either way, even if you might be a little bit ahead of schedule. And ahead of schedule is just where the just what the 2006 New Orleans Saints were with that offense. Couldn't, they made the NFC Championship game. And this is, this is, I couldn't believe that parallel actually kept uh, working. Up to that point, probably one of the best days of my entire life, the 2006 NFC Championship game. Oh, I'm sure. I remember watching yeah. that game. Yeah. They, uh, some of my friend Sam's. The, shout out Sam. Uh, but the, if we're on this timeline, that means the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl in 2026. That's what, <laughs> we, we follow that 2006 <laughs> same timeline that won in 2009. But I, no, that's a great point. I, Ben Johnson, we've brought up his name, I think, every show. And uh, he is one of the hot candidates for a reason. And, you know, he's a big part of it. And also, Hank Fraley might follow him, the offensive yeah. line coach. That was a little tidbit that's like, that has more ramifications. It's, it's, it's huge. And it's then huge. that's why it's important to jump on these opportunities. Even if they're young, even if there's a bright future ahead, mm-hmm. you never know what's coming around the bend. So yeah. it's – and this is a team that, even if they are big underdogs in this game, is more than capable of going toe-to-toe yes. with the Niners in a lot of different ways. And I think that starts with their offense against the Niners' defense. You know, we know that the Niners have struggled against the run this year. And I think that is the first area where the Lions can really take advantage of them. The Niners were 31st in run defense success rate this season. And the Lions are a good running team. They're a diverse running team. And if we're trying to build the case of, okay, how can the Lions do this? I think what they can do on the ground against this team is probably the first place to start. It always is. That's also the identities that these offenses share. They're going to pound the rock. And also they, you know, you said it's extension of the personalities, you know, this, the 49ers is very, you know, they're both motion heavy, but it's free flowing and tosses and windbacks and counters. And then you watch the lines. It's just 
six offensive linemen. Boom, boom. It just keeps just <laughs> pounding right down your throat. And it's like, oh, yeah, all right, here's a little toss play to help you out. But the, what's cool about this Lions offense and it is a feature of this offense is the diversity in the run game that you brought up. They are the only team that has uh, is top 10 rates in the five favorite, five major food groups of the run game, which is zone, pin pool, pin pool, pin, pin pool, pool. <laughs> duo, duo, gap, and trap. Uh, draws in there as well, but that, that's a, I think they're up there too as well, but uh, draws the other one. But they have a talented offensive line. And so this lets them get to the path of least resistance. Oh, this team is an odd front, a three down front. So we'll do more gap this week. Okay, this team likes to do four down with a bunch of off-ball linebackers. Okay, it's pin-pull this week. And it's just like giving a talented quarterback a diverse drop-back game. Let's give our talented offensive line a diverse run game. Let's let them go to work and get them to the, the path of least resistance. But what that allows us to do, though, is like you said, let's come up with a game plan here. All right, what run are you going to focus on since you guys run everything? What are the 49ers defense? What are they specifically not great at? It's awesome because the Lions can just watch last week. And look Last at week is a perfect example. They absolutely gashed them with pin pull over and over and over again. Two runs, pin pull and split zone. And split zone is zone with a tight end kicking across the formation, unless you're the Lions using St. Brown or the Rams using Cooper Cup, but there are exceptions. But it's the Someone tight end. slicing across the formation. I know. In my articles, I always do offensive player because I always get some high school coach that goes, hey, I know you said tight end there, but we actually do that with a receiver. It's like, I know, I know, guys, I know, I'm sorry. But why that's good, What I, I my theory of why split zone is good, watching on film and also just looking at the stats, is because against this 49ers defense, they are the fourth worst defense in defending split zone in terms of success rate. The Lions offense is the sixth best offense in running split zone in terms of success rate. Strength on weakness here. Why I think it's valid against this 49ers defense is it takes advantage of the aggressiveness of Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. It's giving them eye candy. They also have to stay gap sound. A tight end moving across is, oh, that's a gap moving. We got to bump with him in case that run comes back that way or a bootleg because that's a responsibility if that guy runs into the flat. The other thing too is it wads up the defensive line. They want to be all aggressive. Okay, we're running zone. We're just washing you guys away. Let the running back go to work. So that's one run that the Packers used. I think the Lions are going to run it several times, so look for that tight end crossing. But then the pin-pull play was another great example that the Packers used that the Lions major in as well. The Lions were third in the NFL this year in EPA per rush on toss runs, which isn't specifically pin-pull, but just toss runs. They were third in success rate as well. The Niners were 29th in EPA per rush allowed on those plays, 31st in positive play rate allowed. So I'm curious, okay, the Niners know that they might attack them with this. The Packers did it last week, and we've seen so much pin-pull this year. That's an off-season discussion. It has been one of the (laughs) sure runs of the – I mean, you watch it over and over and over again with so many different teams. Even just last week, looking at all the divisional round games, it's popping up all over the place. But the Niners know – that they showed a weakness for that yes. last week, and the Lions are probably going to do it. So what does the next step of that look like on both sides? I have absolutely no idea. I don't either. I've, you, I, I've been kind of like trying to – I'm like, what is the counter off of that? Because that is the counter. Like that is – the pin pole is the thing that you do as the auxiliary pitch. So if you major in, okay, so all right, let's revert back. So it's like maybe toss outside zone because, okay, the – Defenders know that they can't get upfield, so now they're kind of staying, and then you can reach them on zones. Again, you you want a tight end trying to block Nick Bosa though, you know, or like or Chase Young. You pick your poison there. Um, is it working up the middle? I guess that changes the angle. You know, split zones another one. That tight end kicks out the defensive end. Is now he kicking out the D end from the inside instead of the outside? I don't know. 
I don't know either. So I'm curious what the wrinkle is because they always come up with a wrinkle. Ben Johnson does and Hank Franklin. I want to see them seek out some explosives on the ground though. That, that's yeah. what I want to see them try to hit Have because to. we we saw that against Green Bay. Aaron Jones is fantastic. I love Aaron Jones. He's one of my favorite players of the last like 10 years. Jameer Gibbs is different. Yeah. You get Jameer Gibbs out of the gate on some of these, and we're looking at gashes on the ground. And that's important against the Niners because they don't allow gashes through the air. Nope. They have the lowest explosive the pass rate allowed in the NFL this year. So if you're going to hunt explosives in this game, it's going to be a lot easier to do that on the ground. And thankfully, the Lions drafted a guy who is doing that as well or better as anybody else in the NFL. And they can do both. They, they they have thunder and lightning. It's it's great. It's it's right into their strength. It's like they're they do not you do not have to twist the lion's arm to run the ball. They're like, oh yeah. sweet. Exa- exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's that's one area where the lion's strengths align with the Niners' weakness. Yeah. One area where it's strength on strength that to me is the coolest part of this entire matchup, the battle of the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. The Lions this year are second in the NFL in success rate and EPA per drop back on throws between the hashes. Just Sit back and imagine in your mind Jared Goff ripping all of those inbreakers over and over and over again. They were second in the NFL in attempts between the hashes. Their EPA per dropback on those plays is about twice the league average. That's how good they were on those attempts this season. The Niners, not surprisingly, number one in the NFL in EPA per dropback allowed on throws between the hashes, and they are second in success rate. You just think about Fred Warner sitting there. On the hash the entire yeah. game. You are not getting him off of that thing. And Fred why Tumbo. I think this is even cooler <laughs> is because you have that matchup where it's strength on strength. Last week, the Lions played against the Bucks. The Bucks are dead last in EPA per drop back allowed on throws between the hashes. 11.3 yards per attempt this season. And that makes sense, right? Yeah. You have all these blitzes. So you're going from a team that is consistently vacating the middle of the field Mm -hmm. to a team that does better defending that area than anyone else in the NFL. And against the lions specifically, I think that it becomes the area of the field and the area of the game to watch this. And this is actually another thing that they could steal from the Packers. I think a lot of people should steal from what the Packers did this year, personally uh, run game and play action wise, but their play action game, they kind of played on the tropes that Fred Warner, they subverted them sometimes. So they were running play action and, Fred Warner is the best, the best at looking up routes. That play action happens. He goes, all right, here comes an over route. Where are you at? He, he's, he turns sideways. He literally it's un- turns it's sideways. It's unbelievable how good he is at picking that he, stuff up out of the corner. And he just sniffs it out. And he's like, okay, okay. Oh, here you are. Okay, I'm going to carry you. Oh, oh, okay. And then one Mississippi, two Mississippi. Okay, he's going to probably check it down. Okay, now I'm going to go tackle the check down route. The Packers were having like the fake work opposite of where that over was coming from. So there's a couple times Warner was literally turned the wrong way. And I've only seen that happen a couple times. And this is, you know, LaFleur. He's very good at this stuff. He watches, he's played these, this defense several times in very big games. Curious if the Lions kind of copy some of that. Ben Johnson is not opposed from kind of using what he's seen the previous week and putting his own little fingerprints on it. So kind of playing on that, using that strength against him, a little judo there. A little, oh, okay, you want to come at me? Yeah, this one, we're going to turn the other way on that one. So that's one little tweak I want to see because it's hard. It's really, really hard to throw on Fred Warner. He is he knows the the typical NFL traditional designs as well as anybody. The Lions do such a great job of pinning guys down though in those yeah. looks where all the high lows, they do such a fantastic job of just giving eye candy to linebackers where you almost have to react to it. Mm-hmm. And they'll just flood 
those areas. We'll have a running back underneath, you'll have a high, and then you'll have a low. So at a certain point, like the linebacker has to make a decision. Yeah. And their ability to open that area of the field, again, contrasts with how good the Niners are at shutting it down. So who wins that matchup, I think, goes a long way to decide who wins this side of the ball. Yeah. And the other part of this that I think is worth watching is the Packers, when they did have success, it was bleeding out zone coverages and having something run behind it. Mm-hmm. So can you have an entire side cleared out, that big Jaden oh, Reed yeah. crosser that yeah. they hit? And that, but what does that require? Time. That requires time to be able to do that. So it's hard to hit explosives on this team, but if you manage to bleed out a side of the coverage, it is possible. And the one other, oh, sorry, that's why bringing up the explosive runs is so important. You, it's you have to get explosive somewhere. It doesn't always have to be the pass game, but if you can get them on the run, okay, then we can nickel and dime, and we don't care about throwing underneath because you're kind of switching the two roles. The other part where you could, the other area where you could potentially find explosives, the Packers took advantage of Ambry Thomas multiple times. Yes. So is that the one guy, if you get him in some one on one looks away from the passing strength, because the Niners play a lot of quarters, that can turn into one on one. So do you have those looks where Amon Ross St. Brown is lined up outside in some of those one on one matchups the same way he was against Akel Weatherspoon? In the wild card round. So that matchup specifically, whoever is going to be trying to take advantage of Thomas, I think is worth watching. And then an area where I think the Niners potentially have an advantage. We're looking at a backup left guard and a banged up center for the Lions in this game. And Javon Hargrave was a problem against the Packers last week. There was that one red zone drive where he blew it up all by himself. There's no first so, three quarter stats with Javon Hargrave. It's, it's all four quarters with Javon Hargrave. <laughs> so that is one area where even this Lions offensive line that's very, very good, yeah. That that's something to watch. It's and then huge. the Nick Bosa-Pene Sewell matchup, that is going to be appointment oh, viewing for four quarters. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. Brandon Thorne will be all over that one. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, the other thing, too, is it can't help but you know, shout out my wide tight ends. Brock Wright is out for the year now. Broken forearm. You know, we only can handle so many Brock Wright catches, and you know, <laughs> the now world's he's not the, ready for it. World's not ready for it. So, another character of the 2023 season, I think, is going to have a lot of appearances this game, and that's our guy Dan Skipper. The Lions love to be in jumbo offensive linemen. I think he'll be out there because if you get this 49ers team to be in base, they're even worse against the run than they are against sub. So. Which is so weird. It's such a weird quirk statistically. Is it funny? Uh, every yeah. team just has their little, you know, the little, little, little Achilles heel that you can just maybe shoot that arrow at. Uh, yeah. So that, that was just, I, I'm curious if that gets in there because also you don't want as much as Sam Laporta is awesome and Jameer Gibbs has gotten better at pass protection. Laporta is still a negative as a, as a run blocker that you have to hide, which is another advantage of the split zone stuff because he can block across and kick out a guy as opposed to block at the point of attack. Sorry. I had to mention that one as well, but. Look for some Dan Skipper to replace some Brock Wright. On the other side of the ball, the Lions offense stacks up with the Niners defense. It's a matchup where I think Detroit has real advantages. It is harder to find that on this side of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Tried to find some. It's hard to figure out where you would look. They are are decent against the run. So they are a decent run defense. So that is one area where maybe they can hold up. But the problem is... (laughs) That the way they have to load up against the run makes them very vulnerable. So according to next-gen stats, the Lions have matched 21 personnel, which the Niners live in. We know this. Two backs, full back on the field. The Lions have matched 21 personnel with base defense, so three linebackers, on 92% of opponent snaps this year. That is the highest rate in the league. They are 28th in success rate on defense out of those looks and 31st in yards per attempt allowed. Brock Purdy this year has averaged six times the league average 
an EPA per drop back against base defense. If you were going to load <sighs> up against this Niners team yeah. to stop the run, which a lot of people feel like they have to, they are going to annihilate you. Yep. And that didn't happen last week when the Packers did. But there's no rainstorm coming for the Lions this week. So I think that is an important thing to take into consideration. So when you think about that, just the way the Lions have played this stuff, where the Niners are good, it's just hard to find threads to pull at where the Lions could potentially keep up. And that's why I think I wouldn't be surprised to see them maybe throw a curveball with how they match personnel, with how they respond Mm -hmm. to some of this stuff, because the same old answers against this Niners team, I think, is a way to get yourself into trouble. You hinted at it, and it's it. I will give credit to Aaron Glenn. Like the Lions' defense is bottom ten, no matter how he splice it. Every every metric, every situation, it's just no. There's nothing they're really great at. The, again, the run game they are pretty good at, but run defense. But the problem is they're gashed through the air. But I want to give credit to Aaron Glenn is that he at least tries. He at least varies up the looks. He at least blitzes. He at least changes the coverages, changes the personnel. All the stuff we've complimented Spagnola and McDonald for what they do. Glenn does the same thing. Again, it's the horse problem. That's the guys not be able to execute, maybe not be able to get there, maybe a step slow, maybe being overmatched when they are in certain coverages and all that. But he at least tries. But that's what you have to do. You have to hope to throw the monkey wrench into the Shanahan engine. And da, 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 there's a ball popped up. There's a pick. <gasps> we got short field. And now we got two score lead. And we know how ever the jokes about Shanahan offenses when they have to play from behind. That's what you have to hope for because everything you look at, it's like, oh, they match with heavier bodies. They hold offenses to a sub 30% rushing success rate. Uh, don't mind that they let, let up the most EPA per passes out of those same looks. Okay. They, oh, ab- they get absolutely gashed shredded. in those looks. And play action is another thing. 49ers are going to run a ton of play action. That's what they do. They get 25% explosive play rate when they run play action. Lions are the worst team defending play action. They've given up the most explosives in the entire NFL against play action. They've given up 9.3 yards per play. Uh, I'm sorry, over 10 yards per play against play action. The 49ers average over nine Jesus. yards per play against play action. So it's again where it's like, that's why it's just got to be chaotic. You can't, you can't just live and just take it on the chin. It's one of these where it's like, you, it's haymakers. Just throw stuff. And that's what it has to be. I think their offense can get into some nice game scripts, but the defense has to make it chaotic. In my opinion, if you're going to trot out Jack Campbell and base defense out there, this is going to be one of those Shanna Scope sort of games. Yeah. That's going to be a long day for you. So do they match with lighter bodies against 21 personnel? And what do those lighter bodies look like? Because they have three safety looks that they can use. They if you look at teams that have had success against the Niners this year defensively, Ravens, it's a lot of teams, about. the Ravens, the Browns, the Bengals, All of them were willing to live in big nickel three safety looks. And I do think you can make an argument that's the best way to attack this Niners defense. For the Lions, though, that means you take Brian Branch off the field. They used three, they used Melphone Wu, Kirby Joseph, and Mm -hmm. CJ Gardner Johnson on six plays together last week, all in dime. So none when it was just the three safeties on the field. So it would be an unconventional answer compared to what we've seen from the Lions a lot this but, year. But I think you have to be unconventional in this game. It's unconventional warfare. That's that's yeah. what it has to be. Yeah. No, so that's that's exact that's but Melophone Wu is very important. He's played so well the last two months. Not only just big plays, but just down to down. Just a little small plays. He's it's it's really come together for him and the fact his traits it's like, oh geez, what what could you keep growing? No, that was <laughs> that was never in doubt, man. No, and, it's and, like isn't isn't the other one his brother? The other Melfo? Yeah, brother or cousin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, which yeah, is not, yeah. He also was an insane tester. Insane. Yeah, but this one actually put it together. <laughs> they, uh, but 
his he is going to be one of the key matchups anywhere because I think he could be an answer for Glenn to try to reach for. You know, are you going to cover Kittle? Are you going to cover CMC? Are we going to use you on blitzes? Are we going to use you and Branch and some things? So I think how he plays, where he his what his role is, he could have a big impact on this game because he has that he can make an impact. He can be an impact player or a potential can be one. If I'm building the case, him getting some sort of strip sack, him creating some sort of negative play as a blitzer, that is part of the script. Him and Branch just making some splash explosive negative plays on defense, I think has to be part of this. And they'll do it, right? Yeah. So again, let's keep pulling at that thread because the one other matchup that I think is a consistent advantage for them in this game is what Aiden Hutchinson can do against the Niners right tackle. Yes. He's been phenomenal in the playoffs. And it's even more important, I think, for him to dominate this game because yep. of how much the Lions are going to have to punch above their weight on that side of the ball. He And even if he doesn't get home, just create that edginess, just like he did with yeah. Baker. Just create where he's a step slow, a second slow, prog- progresses just a step slow. That's what you have to hope for. And Niners fans, I want to say, it's like you have a decided advantage here. We're just saying like to give the Lions a chance, this is what they have to do because that offense is just such where a Where are the pads? I think that's, that's the it. biggest question when you're thinking don't about upset. Sometimes we do pads? this and people go, man, you act like the 49ers are going to lose. I, I get how this sounds, but this is just what the one storyline that, or not storyline, the path, like you said, that could go. So, because there's not a lot. The Niners offense has a lot of answers that they could solve uh, and throw at defenses as well. Some well-timed blitzes against some of those motions yeah. when maybe you understand when they're going to snap the ball. You know what Open their tendencies side, are in yeah. some of those motions. And yeah. guys coming off the edge. Again, you go back to the Ravens game and where the Ravens had some success against the Niners, it was in the exact same sort of situations. Nice. and. Patrick Queen you, blitz, remember? The, yeah, and and that's yeah, important. And so you, a couple looks. of those coming off the edge, can you get some explosive plays? The Lions in the second half of this season, heavy, heavy, heavy man team. And against the Niners, we know how dangerous that is. Yeah, so again, yeah. just one more layer that makes it difficult. The Lions led the NFL in percentage of man coverage on third down in the second half of the season. George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk all rank in the top 20 league-wide at EPA per target against man. Ayuk was fifth in yards per route run against man. Kittle was okay. 17th. So if you get to third down, typically when this Niners team struggles, if you're, you're going to play man prop, against them. If you're, if you're looking for a player prop. Ayuk <laughs> over, over everything, probably something that you should look at. Yeah. One more question, though, about the Niners pass catchers. If there's no Debo, what does that mean practically for the Niners offense in your mind? Uh, don't use Chris Conley on jet motion stuff. Uh, that that would be that would be the one change that we'll see. But knowing that they don't have Debo's one thing, because when Debo's healthy and playing, Shanahan's like, oh, here we go, got the game plan with him. So not knowing that he has that tool available is one thing. I think actually just unlocking the guys you do have. So if it is John Juwan Jennings, get his get his butt blocking, get him like pinning the edge, get him into unconventional looks, get him, you know, doing, being a de facto tight end. I think again, they lean even more into 21 personnel. Right? We, we don't need to be an 11. Um, but I think still some of the advantages that they have, they can just keep doing what they do, how they use McCaffrey, how they use Kittle, things we've already talked about. The advantages with Ayuk on the outside, those are still natural advantages that they don't have to change much. When Debo's in there, it just, it's Charizard. You know, they reach yeah. that final form, but still, this is you know 90% or 85% of it, which is still one of the best offenses that has a ton of answers. So uh, there's He's not been much limited. Yeah. So there, okay. there's, a, there's a chance that he will play. So it's something to keep an eye on. But they are a different beast, and it's just harder to defend them, obviously, especially in man coverage Absolutely. because of all the places he can line up, of the tells you get, just yeah. so many different things to consider. But 
I just hope that this is a game where these offenses just go punch for punch the entire That's what time. I hope to, yeah. The over-under is 51. If this is okay. the sort of game where it's like a 35-31 sort of finish between these two offenses, that would be the ideal outcome for me. That's great. Same. That's all I want. I, I just want some good good offenses. And I think both have very easy means to pick at, but it's just going to be interesting if uh, what the game script unfolds because that will decide a lot in this matchup. Two phenomenal games. One thing I forgot <sighs> to mention in the Ravens – Chiefs game that I wanted to. What you got? Even if the Ravens don't blitz a lot, yeah. using their linebackers and some of those mugged up looks to keep the back in mm-hmm. is something that I would be watching because the Chiefs led the NFL in the amount of dropbacks with five, only five pass blockers with five guys out in the route. They want that. They want to get five out consistently. And I think that their passing offense looked really good against the Bills when they were able to. The Bills don't blitz or blitz very infrequently. Yeah. So are there ways that the Ravens, either with some of those looks or by actually bringing pressure, can try to keep the back in and give yeah. Mahomes fewer answers? It's the one thing I didn't mention that I wanted yeah. to because going back and watching that Bills game, they consistently were taking advantage of them when they get five guys out in the pattern. I see your protection simulated pressure stat stuff. And I raise you a Mahomes scramble stat. <laughs> so Mahomes is one of the most devastating scramblers, just one of the most efficient ones. He scrambles, he gets first downs. He's, it's very frustrating, yeah, it's, I'm it's sure. It's maddening. It's I'm maddening. sure for opposing teams and opposing fans, it's very frustrating. He is automatic at it, but he's even more devastating. So, so And the highest rate of scrambles in the entire league, only over Lamar. Or Lamar is right, right below him, I should say. Scrambles against zone. If it's third down, if it's passing downs, those guys are you know, double teaming Kelsey. They're getting all those things. He's going to get into creation mode, but look for him to run. And I think that's just going to be an interesting one way that he can maybe break this back. If you want to run these exotic looks, the simulated pressure, I'm just going to scramble on you. All right. See ya. Come on, do it again. All right. I'm just going to break a tan and scramble on you again. So it's kind of funny how we might see a lot of Lamar Jackson from the pocket and we're going to just see Mahomes, the scrambler throughout the game. <laughs> so kind of going back, maybe a little bit opposite of some of these attacks that we think, but I had to throw that in there as well. Thanks for letting me do that. <laughs> awesome collection of matchups. Awesome weekend on tap. Very, very excited about it. Hope you guys are as well. For now, that is all we've got. Please make sure you're checking out everything else on the channel. Another episode of Prospects of Pros with Nate and Dane this week. We've got some good stuff coming with Football GM heading Jim into Nagy the weekend. On, on this week. Jim Nagy up from the Senior Bowl, Bowl coming on, which is it's great. great. A little one, pre- Senior Bowl preview with the Senior yep. Bowl on tap here very soon. If you could, if you haven't, uh, subscribe to the show. Wherever you listen to your podcast, I assume most of you who listen have subscribed, but you know, if you're just listening to this as a one-off, if you've never listened to the show before, we would sincerely appreciate if you would hit that subscribe button. Uh, leave us a review on Apple or on Spotify, wherever you happen to listen. If you've been a listener all year, if you've been a listener for multiple years, now's the time. I, w- I would consider it a personal favor if you would tell us why you've liked the show over your time listening. So very much appreciate that. Very much appreciate every single one of you for spending the time with us. We will be back on Sunday night right here, breaking down all things championship weekend. Until then, appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.